Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. Um, we're studying through the life of Joseph, but I actually want to read to you from First Peter as we continue to see this pattern week in and week out is that um, the New Testament has great teaching that is then exemplified and pictured and sort of a visual aid is given to us in the life of, of Joseph. So the scripture that I want to actually read to you is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And remember, as we read the scripture, the Bible is God preaching. So in some ways, it's the most important thing you'll hear this morning is what God says through his word. This is what he proclaims, beginning in verse 21. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this is what Jesus did. Listen, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, give us grace now. Give us grace not to be passive in the contemplation and study of your word, but to have great initiative to see Jesus clearly and we pray that what the Holy Spirit intended us to see when Genesis chapter 39 was eternally preserved in Scripture, that's what we would see. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in Genesis 39. Uh, you can hold First Peter there if you want to because we will come back to it. And uh, Genesis chapter 39, verses uh, 18 through 23, or 8 through 23, actually will be our... Our, uh, our passage, we're returning to the same section that we studied last week, but we're going to come from a, a little bit different of an angle. So here's what we've seen so far in Joseph's life. He's a loved and favored son. His father sent him to his brothers uh, who betrayed him and were violent against him, stripped him of his robe of many colors, sold him into slavery. However, he was um, at work at Potiphar's house and over the course of time, over about um, eight years or so, rose to a position of prominence and to the point that Potiphar said, everything I entrust to him goes better for me when I entrust it. So we see a few things. There's already many pictures of Jesus, a loved and favored son who was sent to his <laughs> unrighteous brothers who betrayed him. But everything you entrust to Jesus will go better. And just say that to you again, not to re-preach the sermon for a couple of years, uh, 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 Sundays ago, but he is a trustworthy overseer of your soul. And this morning we'll see that Joseph was the victim of lies and compromise. And that again will give us um, a great picture of Jesus who himself is, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we mean by the word victim. Jesus is never a victim. He's in control of all things, but he is at the end of, uh, he's the object of some lies and compromise that God ultimately uses for our great good. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago now that I was uh, put an exercise DVD in the DVD player and was trying my best to keep up with, with this aerobic activity going on on the screen. And uh, my uh, uh, Priscilla, who was about four at the time, came in. And this is no lie, this is what happened. 
I'm full on flop sweat, can't hardly breathe, and she immediately comes in, sees me, gets on her knees, and this is what I hear from her, God, please don't let daddy die. That's what she said, just, just interceding on, on my behalf. And uh, I got so tickled about it that um, they quite finished the, um, the exercise. But, but what I want to say is it would have been of no advantage to me if I just put the DVD in and the aerobic exercise was going on the screen and I just sat on my couch and watched it. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't get the heart rate going. And you can say I watched an exercise routine is much different than saying I exercise. Can we all agree on that? And where I'm going with this is this, that, that that's, that's actually the approach many Americans take in church life to the study of God's Word. You sit and watch, right? So what I'm inviting you is, because we're going to see something really important, but you have to have some initiative and some humility and say, God, I want to hear what it is your Word says. We always want to get our prepositions right. We are saved by grace, through faith, unto works, Right? So one of the good works that you can perform in your life, not to be saved, but because you are saved, is the serious, faithful, sober-minded study of Scripture. So all that to invite you in, that that we want to study this together. You want to see some things for yourself in your own life. So Genesis chapter 39, let's get the full picture again. Uh, Beginning at the end of verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put me, has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. You've got to have some of that in your life, friends. When you're tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, you've got to have some refusing. There's got to be some things in your life you refuse to do. There's got to be some things in your life you refuse to look at. Even if they come day after day, you say no. And here's how you fight. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The only ultimate way to overcome sin and temptation in your life is you love God more than you love the sin and temptation. One day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. It's better that you'd lose your garment and lose your job then you'd lose your integrity. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled to get out of the house. Joseph is lied about. Verse 16, Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. There are few scenarios more horrible to contemplate than to be imprisoned falsely, right? I mean, there's no uh, shortage of books or documentaries that are at our disposal recounting the tragic accounts of those accused of crimes they did not commit but were found guilty and sentenced. And the rather modern advances in DNA testing in particular have enabled many who claim their innocence to have their testimonies confirmed. And we find right here in the pages of Scripture a man unjustly accused, unjustly imprisoned, and suffering as the result of charges for things he did not do. So let's see something real clear here. Joseph did right and suffered wrong. This needs to liberate us from a false understanding, right? Sometimes we think in life, if we'll just do the right thing, if we'll just make the right decision, then everything will go well. But what we need to see is everything will go well in, this is important, the end. Before you get to everything going well, there might be weeks, months, years of suffering. But Joseph's doing okay today. I'd rather be Joseph right now than Potiphar's wife right now. Agreed? So you always have to have the long view in mind. So we're going to see three simple points, pretty straightforward Uh, And and what we want to do is walk through this passage we just read and come at it from three perspectives. We'll start with Potiphar's wife, we'll move to Potiphar, and then we'll get to Joseph. So first of all, if you have an outline and want to track along in that manner, you see, first of all, Joseph is the victim of lies. Joseph is the victim of lies. Now, we could put Potiphar's wife right up there with Jezebel as one of the most wicked women in all the Bible. When we really break down her actions and the implicit heart attitudes behind them, we're going to see a woman who is sinfully destructive. She exemplifies the great contrast, please hear me, between pure and unselfish love with selfish lust. Now, look at verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord showed him steadfast love. And I want to contrast that, what the Lord's going to do in Joseph's life, with the scheme of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife does not love Joseph. She lusts after Joseph. In verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Um, Steadfast love, here's a contrast you can make in your life, Steadfast love will remain faithful and true even when it doesn't get necessarily what it wants. Unstable lust quickly turns to hatred if things don't work out the way that you want it. And again, Potiphar's wife is going to exemplify this. Reading the whole thought here together, verses 6 and 7, is what grabs Potiphar's wife's attention about Joseph is what? Is his appearance, right? The way that he looks. 
I mean, Joseph's a handsome dude. Probably ripped. He'd, 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 you know, be on the cover of magazines in this time and place. Everything that she desires about Joseph is about his outward appearance. One of the books I read this week, I found this statement, which I thought was greatly helpful. There are a few things of less value to the Lord than outward appearance. It's actually, it's true. And again, one, one of the ways we can contrast between the flesh and the spirit is, well, the Bible says it best, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and both are true. Unfortunately, the way we often measure people, discern about people, is how they look on the outside but God looks at the heart look what happens look what happens when her sinful lust turns into reckless hatred Joseph verse 8 he refused Joseph how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God Joseph would not listen and then finally what seems to happen here is that she arranges to where it would just be the two of them in the house right and she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment. Joseph exemplifies the succinct passage of Scripture that we need to um, memorize, love, believe, and obey. Flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Don't flirt with it. Don't get ensnared by it. Flee it. And that's what Joseph does. He flees out of there, and look at what happens immediately. As soon, verse 13, as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, boom, here we go, right? As soon as it happened, her lust turns to hatred. And how long did it take? Got a stopwatch? Here we go. That's how long it took. 0.0001 seconds, right? First of all, let's, let's just look through. Let's just see what she does. First, she sows discord. Look who she goes to first. She called the other men of her household and said, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. I cried out with a loud voice. As soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled to go out of the house. Joseph is the victim of lies and she begins to sow discord who does she go to first she doesn't go to potiphar first she goes to everybody else first you want to see some sinful destructive tendencies on full display here she is today you know what she would have done first posted it on social media right that's what she would have done first and then potiphar would have found out online no she goes to the other men she goes to the ones who have been underneath Joseph's authority. And she plays on their resentments, right? I mean, every, everybody would love to get involved in a scheme to take down the boss, right? And there's Joseph. He's been a faithful man, a man of integrity. And this is how divisions come. And friends, the New Testament speaks very much about divisions coming into the church and to be on guard against it. And this is how it happens. So, whenever you listen to the reports of others, and they come up to you, did you know what happened? You just ask a few discerning questions. What's the agenda behind this, right? When somebody talks to you, just ask a simple question. Is this of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit, or is this of sin and death? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? I mean, what's the perspective that this person is coming from? She's 
lying. Hold your spot there in Genesis 39 and turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. So hold your spot there. We're going to come back to Genesis, of course. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter 8, I want you to see, as Jesus is speaking to some who oppose him, and they oppose him very strongly. John chapter 8, verse 44, you are, Jesus speaking, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. You know why the devil lies? Because that's his nature. First statement out of his mouth. Has God said... And he lies specifically about God. Here's it's important to note. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you hear these three things? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three words that you rarely hear in our culture. Why? Because they're the three things that are lied about the very most. Sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Why is Pot- Potiphar's wife telling lies? Because that's her nature. She does not have a nature like God. Friends, God will not lie to you. The Bible actually says God cannot lie. It's not in his nature. You can trust him when he says he so loved you that he's given his only begotten son. You can trust him. But that's not the only weapon at her disposal that she unleashes. Look with me carefully here. This is important. Verse 14, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Verse 17, she told him the same story saying, The Hebrew servant, what's going on here? She's sowing discord, and now she's sowing discord on the basis of a particular issue. Who's tracking with me? What is the issue? Ethnicity. That's what's going on here. That's what she's saying. She's talking to all these Egyptians and And Joseph, for years, has been a man of integrity. He's been a man of faithfulness. He's been a man of truth-telling. He's worked hard. He's not cut any corners or shortcuts. And she tears it all down with two words, this Hebrew. So we need to see this very clearly. This is the the basest form of discord. She's telling the Egyptians that there's an us and them mentality. This is wicked and awful and sinful. May we see this very clearly if we harbor resentment, animosity, suspicion, or a sense of superiority on the basis of ethnicity, we have more in common with the lost and dead in her trespasses and sins wife of Potiphar than we do with the Lord Jesus Christ who said his gospel is for all people, every language, every tribe, every tongue. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. With this in mind, there are really only two groups of people on the earth, friends. Lost and saved. That's it. It's the sinfulness of man and not the holiness of God that categorizes people in ways other than that. 
And those who've been found, those who are saved, have a certain disposition and hard attitude towards those who are lost. And you know what it is? It's not hatred and animosity. It's love and service and compassion. Because you know what's true of every person who's been found? There was a time when they were, help me church, lost. Therefore, remember, at one time, at one time, you were alienated from God. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to look it up. And those who've been found have a sacrificial love towards those who are lost. Now, let me just say a few things that I find helpful is lost people. Do you know how they act? Lost. I know it seems obvious, but it's one of the things that we need to be rescued from is this foolish notion that some Christians have that lost people will act as if they're not lost. You know how they act? They're lost. You know how you acted when you were lost? Lost. This is simple, straight from the scripture. The mind that is set on the flesh, meaning you've not been born again, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Listen, indeed, it cannot. That's Romans chapter 8. So it should come as no surprise to those of us who were at one time lost and now have been redeemed by God, by his blood, not by our own merit. See, that's what has to be put to death in the heart of every believer. This is, we're hardwired, so it's, it's an ongoing struggle for a lot of folks, is that we have some superiority or merit of our own, and you don't. You get to heaven and you sit at the throne of Jesus. Not one person who's there is going to say, look what I did. No. Look what he did. But I would be, there's a scripture on my heart that I want to share. And it's from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, on that day, many, this is so sober, sobering. On that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Here's the way that you can gauge your heart. And he said, on that day, I'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you what jesus is saying is there are a whole lot of people who think they're going to heaven and they're not straight from the scripture and here's here's the cleanest clearest most direct filter you can have if you think you're going to heaven on the basis of something that you have done may the scripture stand in your way this morning and say no 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 if the first words out of your mouth are look jesus the mighty works i did you know what i think it's going to be true for believers on their way to heaven they're going to fall on their knees they're not going to talk to jesus about what they've done for him first words out of my mouth i pray or oh god i've got nothing but what you've done for me she's a liar because she's of the father of lies that's her nature so she she sows discord she she uh next she demonstrates she demonstrates we already kind of knew this that she's not, a, she's not a good wife. We knew that already because she's seeking an adulterous relationship. But look what she says in verse 14. Remember, she's not even talked to Potiphar yet. Verse 14, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Who is he? Who's he? It's Potiphar. She's setting him up. She blames him for a problem she's lied about, and she blames him for something that never really happened at all. So here is sinful lust turned, on, turned to hatred on full display. She is a missionary of the devil, friends. 
She cast her eyes on Joseph, and from the moment she looked at Joseph, his life got more difficult. She makes him the object of her lust. She persists in tempting him. Then once he refuses her, she makes him the object of her scorn and lies and divides the whole household on the basis of his ethnicity. Now, that's the opposite of an ambassador of the gospel. Amen? We make others the object of our love and compassion, sacrificing that they may hear the good news of Jesus and loving them even if they reject the message. We seek to unite people under the banner of the gospel until every nation, tribe, tongue hears this while we speak the truth in love. Joseph is the victim of lies. If you happen to still be over there in John chapter 8, look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, are you not right? Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Oh, for two. John chapter 9, verses 13 through 17. They brought to the, to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them you want to keep going john chapter 10 verses 19 and 20 there again was a division among the jews because of his words many of them said he has a demon and is insane why listen to him others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind lies ethnic animosity divisions and jesus are we talking about joseph or are we talking about jesus yes yes now we've looked at this account from the perspective, and, 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 by, and by the way, just parenthetically, but quickly, he's still lying about who Jesus is. Still lying to this day. Some of the most um, frequently used lies is, there is no God, there is no sin, there is no righteousness, there is no coming judgment. You know what those are all? Lies. There is. I am so sinful. He is righteous. There is a judgment. And the only way that a sinful person can stand before a righteous God at the coming judgment is if a righteous Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, pays for my sin. Glory to God, hallelujah, that the one for whom I will stand before as my judge stood condemned in my place before I stand before him. Now, he's been lied about, but I also want you to see, now we're going to shift to the second perspective, and that's Potiphar. Not only is Joseph lied about, Joseph next is the victim of political compromise. So now we want to take the narrative from Potiphar's perspective. He has no idea what he's walking into in verse 16. Up to this point, Joseph has he's put everything in Joseph's charge. It's been running so smoothly. He's been so blessed. And then one day he walks to the door. She laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom he brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. So here's the question that most anyone who reads this narrative has to ask. Did Potiphar believe her? Does Potiphar think she's telling the truth? All the text says here is, his anger was kindled. It doesn't say his anger was kindled against Joseph. But let's remember, friends, the sequence of events. 
All the servants are watching. She's already stirred it up. She's already taken a baseball bat to the hornet's nest. They're all buzzing. They're all watching. She's already sown discord among them. Now he's presented with the story. They've all been told what will happen now if he sides with Joseph. Do you see the pressure on his shoulders? I don't think he thought she was telling the truth. Now read that, say that on the basis of a few verses here. Verse 39, chapter, uh, chapter 39, verse 1. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian who had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites, brought him down there. Now look at chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. And he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar is. In the prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And while I don't believe that Potiphar believed the lies, he still goes along with the ploy, doesn't he? Does that ring any bells for you? There's another man in Scripture who's posed with a similar challenge. He doesn't believe the lies that are being told about somebody else, but he also has an audience to contend with that has turned against the one being lied about. And his name is Pontius Pilate. And both Potiphar and Pilate are men of influence. They're men of standing in their own nation. Both hold a position of power and authority, but are not in ultimate authority, right? Pilate is underneath the emperor, and Potiphar is underneath Pharaoh. Both demonstrate a modicum of character, but ultimately, the second point, both make political compromises. Both make political compromises. Both do something that they know is not the right thing to do, but they make a decision in a moment because of pressure that they don't want to face. In other words, they find it easier to suppress the truth than to deal with the truth. Interestingly enough, we don't ever find Joseph say anything. There's no record of him saying, I'm innocent, I didn't do this. We, we don't hear Joseph really speak after he refuses the temptation. He doesn't speak. He's just placed into prison. One of those reasons may be that Joseph knew he did not have an honest judge. And the same, of course, was true of Jesus. The Bible, doesn't it record a long list of those who've been falsely accused and wrongfully punished? Joseph, Daniel, Jeremiah, Paul, John, and of course, Jesus himself. But please hear me. There is another judge, a far better judge than Potiphar or Pilate. And there will be a day of vindication for those who've been falsely accused. And there will also be a day when every lie is exposed. So here's the contrast. We've got seemingly Potiphar's wife succeeding on the basis of her lies, but I want you to know it's very temporary. And then we have Joseph suffering after having been lied about, but I also want you to know that's very temporary. The real problem here for Potiphar's wife who spreads lies and Potiphar who suppressed the truth is they will stand before God from whom nothing is hidden. So let's go to the quickly number three. I want you to see that Joseph is the victor in the end. Joseph is the victor in the end. It's the lowest point of Joseph's life. Think of what he's gone through, neither among his own family nor out among the nations has he found friends. Sounds like Jesus. And here he's in prison. The uh, close uh, translation of the Hebrew word is he's in the hole, right? So this is what you need to know. Is he's not in 
I mean, no, no prison is, is desirable, but, but he's in a place where it's miserable. It's dark. He, he's, he's in a, likely a, a, a cave or like a hole dug in the ground. There's no sunlight. He's surrounded by other people. Who knows what kind of violence and, and, and um, behavior goes on in, in, in that place. And he doesn't deserve to be there. For, for a brief moment of time, things seemed to be going well for Joseph. He had worked hard and it was paying off. And maybe you've had a similar experience like this in your life. It's the lowest point of your life. Perhaps like Joseph, it came suddenly, suddenly. Sudden loss of a loved one. Sudden loss of health. Sudden loss of career or position. But I want you to see what Joseph does have. He's lost so much. But I want you to see what he's not lost. One way of saying it is, he's not lost the only thing that he ever really had. And it's also going to be true for you. Because there are a lot of things that will fade and defile and perish. Only a few things that don't. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23. Because the Lord was with him. Joseph has two things. Two things that Potiphar's wife cannot take from him. Two things that his brothers could not take from him. Two things that Potiphar couldn't take. Pharaoh couldn't take. He's got two things. He's got God's presence, and he's got God's promise. And I've, I've shared with you many times I've, one of my favorite Adrian Rogers quotes is this. If you want to know what you really have in life, add up all that you have that money cannot buy and death cannot take, and that is what you really have. That's what you really possess. So Joseph has two things. He's got God's presence, and he's got God's promise. Uh, the presence of God is with Joseph at the lowest point in his life. And don't think that God's only with you in church, right? God goes to prison, as it were, with Joseph. You know what I mean? He's there. God goes to the cemetery. God goes to the hospital. God goes to the emergency room on those difficult days. But you also need to know God goes with you to work. And God goes with you home, right? His presence always with us. And what is the promise that Joseph has? He's had a dream, Remember? He's had a dream, and in his dream, God has spoken to him that Joseph will be in a position of prominence, right? He's got that. Where is he now? In the prison. And friends, he's not going to be there for a week. He's going to be there for two years. Two years he spends there. But he has to know this in his heart. Not the outward appearance, in his heart. You know what he knows? This can't be how it ends for me. This can't be because I've received a word from the Lord. Now, here's how you can apply that in your life. God has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Feel like you're in the hole, just know this. It ain't over for you. If it ain't good yet, God's not finished yet. The presence of God is with Joseph at the lowest point point in his life so one way we would be able to articulate it would be this our hope is not that we won't have low points and difficult times our hope is the low point and the difficult time is not the end he walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death on my way somewhere else amen so joseph has god's promise 
And while Joseph is there, listen, this is so important. Joseph doesn't throw a pity party in prison. His hope is not in Potiphar's wife to be found out about her lie. His hope is not, well, Potiphar will come around and he'll be a person of integrity and he'll get me out of here. His hope is in God. Now, some people, I think, believe and trust and, 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 and know in my low points, in my hard points, God's still with me and I know that, but, but they fall short of this important point. What happens with Joseph when he's in the prison? Look what happens. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. You see, when Joseph was in the palace and when Joseph was in the prison, he's the same person. His character, his work ethic, his ambassadorship of Christ and of God doesn't change when his circumstances change. Matthew Henry said, a good man will do good wherever he is. Joseph is not going to wait for his circumstances to be good for him to do good. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. You know who said that? Paul. And probably anybody who's went through the ringer like he did, right? So here's something to resolve. You want an application from this sermon? Here we go. If God brings me to the lowest place, I will do good there. If God brings me sorrow, I will be a blessing to others who are sorrowful. If God permits that I suffer unjustly, let it be a means that I'll be a blessing to others. So you mark this down, big, bold, plain, and tall. The hardest moment of your life may very well be the open door to the most significant opportunity you ever have. Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar could spread lies. They could suppress the truth. They could take away Joseph's job. They could take away his earthly possessions. But they could not take away God's presence. And they could never, ever, ever, ever negate God's promise. Joseph will be the victor in the end. There's a moment coming, not too far from here, where Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, will be under Joseph's authority. And that's a picture of Jesus. For us, think about these two things, and we're going to conclude. Joseph still had God's presence and still had God's promise. For us, God's promise is all about his presence. Our firm hope is is that we will be in the presence of God forever. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? I mean, honestly, where's your hope? In a promotion, in a relationship, in some money, some stock options, some vacation time. Where's your hope? Friends, all those things are fading away. All that's in the world is passing away. Our hope must be in the promise of God that will enter his presence, not on the basis of our own merit. Why? We're more like Judah in Genesis 38 than we are like Joseph in Genesis 39. We need a mediator. Remember last week's fighter verse? There is a mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The loved and favored son of God stepped into the world, was betrayed by his own, but willingly went to the cross as others lied about him and others suppressed the truth. And he suffered unjustly, yet willingly, in order to reconcile us to God. So three quick conclusions and applications, and then we'll go to our response time. First of all, this one's really easy and really simple. Don't be a liar. Don't allow lying to be any part of your character. Don't, 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 don't. Now, again, apart from the 
truth-telling Holy Spirit indwelling us. It's just our nature to lie. You know, this is, I've taught my children to ride a bike. I've taught my children to read. I've taught my children to, to uh, well, have I done more than that? I hope. Uh, try to teach my children about the Lord. I never sat them down and said, now here's how you tell a lie. You're going to have a little conscience that says that's not the truth, and then, and then you just say something. Why? It's our nature. It's who we are. <laughs> Nobody's ever been taught to lie. Why not? It's how we're born. We need a new nature. So, secondly, do not forsake the truth for the comfort of expediency. We are all going to have moments in our lives where it would just be easier to suppress the truth and go with the flow. You'll find that at work. You'll find that at home. You'll find that even sometimes at church, right? Just to, it's just more expedient. There will be many, many times you will find it easier to suppress the truth than to stand for it. And then third, remember at your lowest point, God is there. And friends, you're going to have to live your life on the basis not of what somebody else has done to you, but on the basis of what God has done for you. Because Joseph is in a place that he does not deserve. But I can tell you right now, Joseph is in a place that he does not deserve. Joseph doesn't deserve to be in glory, but he's there. So, if you're going to get there, it's not because you deserve it. It's because he's been good and faithful to us. At your lowest point, remember that God will bring you to heights that you can neither deserve nor imagine finish where we started for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps now Peter's writing this letter y'all when Nero is the emperor and the Christians are being killed left and right quite frankly he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued here we go, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's stand together and we we'll pray together. We have a time of response and invitation. Again, if you've had initiative and you've had um, really been studying and listening to the scripture and reading and thinking then we always want to respond. So we're going to bow our heads together. And I'll just ask some response questions on the basis of our applications that we mentioned just a moment ago. Would you ask that God would give you an honest tongue? Would you ask that God, the next moment you are tempted to speak a lie, that he'd get a hold of your mouth, and get a hold of your heart, more importantly. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And secondly, would you say, Father, help me to stand for truth even when all the numbers are against me. Better to stand alone with you than with everybody who suppresses and opposes the truth. And third, maybe there's somebody here today. She said, man, the lowest point in my life is actually right now. 
God did not abandon Joseph to prison. The Bible says the Lord was with him. And Joseph's story is not going to end here in the prison. Neither will it for anyone who trusts the loved and favored son, Jesus. We're going to pray, and then we'll have a time of response and invitation. I'm going to stand right here at the front if you've got a burden on your heart, your soul this morning. I'm going to pray about it. It would be my great joy and privilege to pray with you. Perhaps this morning it would be true that you've never recognized the king. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. And may the Holy Spirit has done that in your life today, that you recognize you need the sinless righteous, spotless Lamb of God before you stand in the judgment.